Lord, we just thank for this evening. We thank for each person that's here. We ask you just to bless this time that we have together and lead and guide as we as we look at your word and, and see the see the truths you have from us for us uh, from this uh, psalm. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm sixty-nine to the chief musician upon the Sosharnum, a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of, of my crying. My throat is dried. My, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. They that would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I which I took not away. O Lord, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hid from you. Let not them that wait on, on the, you, O Lord of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek you be confounded for my sake. O God of Israel, because of your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brothers and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that, are, that reproach you are fallen upon me. When I, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, I, that was a, my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment and became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me. I was in a song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto you, O Lord, in an acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercies, hear me, in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me, and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn unto me to the multitude of your tender mercies. And hide not your face from your servant, for I am in trouble, hear me speed, or for I am in trouble, hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You have known my reproaches and my shame and my dishonor. My ab mine adversaries are all before you. Reproach hath broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. For, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gold for meat, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, that, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it be a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your wrath full anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate in there, and none dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have smitten, and they talk to the grief of those who, have, who you have wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written in the, with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than ox or bullocks that have horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord hears the poor and despises not his prisoners. Let the heaven and earth 
Praise Him, the seas and everything that moves therein. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah and they, that, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of His servant shall inherit it and they that love His name shall dwell therein. So this is a very powerful psalm and just as normal, David starts off very pessimistic and then ends with strong praise for God. Part of this is about Jesus. Some it? of this is Messianic, yes. There's a lot of Messianic uh, verses in here. I, gotta have, I need the answer to a question. Uh, when Jesus went to the belly of the whale, or the belly of the whale, whatever it is, he closed the gulf between paradise and hell, right? Hades. Some believe that. I thought the Bible said that. I don't, I don't remember it, but some believe that. Well, that comes from the again. that comes from the apostolic confession, What's apostolic? the Apostles' Creed, okay. which wasn't written by the apostles. Mm -hmm. Then, when David died, where he is now, I know. Where he, where did he go? He kept saying, "Leave not my soul in hell." For sure. There are many that believe that before Jesus came, everybody went into hell and that there was a section of hell called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And that when Jesus died on the cross that they were taken from there and brought into heaven. I don't believe that. Well, it says in here, because I've read that, that hell was expanded <laughs> and made larger. Enlarged. I thought it said a mighty procession followed him out of hell, out of the gates of hell. The Apostolic Creed says that. The Apostles' Creed says that. And so, you might you can find a verse on that. Let me know, but I'm not. Okay. Uh, because I need to know too. Because I I last week. you have the story of Lazarus and the rich man that yeah. Jesus told, and it said that the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment and looked into. Abraham's bosom, and that is where they start bringing this whole thing of, and it really works out to be the, the equivalent of that statement would be from the Greeks, the Elysian fields, which is their equivalent of heaven. In, in Hades, there's this section where the good people go and have a blessed time, and there's this section where the evil go and get punished. Uh, I'm not going to argue it with anybody because I can't take any verse that says absolutely not, but I just, I just don't believe it. God knew who, who was going to accept him. And, I, and part of it is that I believe that in hell that they can look up into heaven and see what they're missing, which is part of the curse that they have upon them. I thought I read that. So it's, well, that's no verse that I know of that says that. So unless you, unless you believe that Abraham's bosom is heaven, which I tend to do. So uh, I'm not going to be dogmatic on that, besides which it's not an important enough area to be dogmatic in. It is what it is. It the, is what it the Apostles' Creed says very clearly that Jesus descended, and the book does say that you know the Bible does say descent that he descended. The question is, was that descent from the cross into hell, or was the descent from heaven to earth? And there's where the big you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Anytime you get into this theological questions that don't have real strong statements, uh, you have problems, and. 
then you get into the Catholic belief of, of purgatory, which is nowhere in the scriptures that you go to temporarily to pay for your sins, and then when you've suffered enough, you get to go to, you get to, go to heaven because you weren't bad enough to go to hell. So it's, it's, you know, so we get into some very strange doctrines that aren't scriptural. And this is why I'm not absolutely sure that there was a section of hell that the good people went to until Jesus came there. And, but I'm not going to say there wasn't because enough theologians believe that it, that it is true. And I'm not going to try to pit myself against some of these guys that have been studying for, for years and years and years. But I just don't, I don't believe it. Yes, a mother. And Bill, as a father, if one of our children had committed a horror, hunting and leaving an animal wounded was a great big no-no. If they had done that, there would have been a punishment, and the gun would have been destroyed. Mm. But if Bill had said, after the explanation, whatever it was that he heard, I forgive you, son, for breaking that rule. <coughs> and then yada, 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 because you still have to be punished to remember that we don't shoot an animal we can't kill. God would not have done that. God wouldn't have told David, you're forgiven, here's your punishment, but now you've got to go to hell. Yeah. He wouldn't have done that, would he? No. See, David's, David's a great example of the belief of the Jews that you also had to be good. It wasn't just enough to sacrifice. And there was a, this is an area that is hard for, and we see it in every, everyday belief. How do you get to heaven? You do more good than bad. Even amongst Christians who know Jesus Christ is their way to heaven still get this idea that I've got to keep doing good or else. Mm -hmm. There's no understanding of God's mercy and his grace. This is where you get people who say, I just can't forgive myself. I was so bad. If I forgive myself, I may, I may get arrogant, and God may think I'm arrogant and that I, don't, that I deserve to be, you know, be punished because I'm not beating myself up bad enough. And this is where we have these problems. God says we're forgiven. We need to live in the finished work of Christ and say, I am forgiven. Why? Not because of anything that I've done. It's because of what Jesus has done that I'm forgiven. I live in victory over sin because of what Jesus has done to pay for the, pay for the price. Doesn't mean I go out and sin as much as I can to try to make his victory as, as big as possible. No, I love him, so therefore I'm going to say, I want to do everything I can to, you know, to, to just show you how much I love you. But not because I'm trying to please him, not because I'm try, trying to make a bunch of brownie points, just because, just because I love him. Just for the same reason that I was obedient to my parents, not because, it, really, not, for me, because I wasn't a rebellious child, it wasn't because I was trying to make brownie points, it's just because I loved my parents. I wanted to do what they wanted me to do. And this is what God is saying. We love him so much that we do what he desires for us to do. Not because I'm trying to win the brownie points and make the marks. I'm not going to go beat myself up and you know go into the middle ages with the with the monks whipping their back with every step because I haven't I haven't suffered enough to pay for my to show God that I'm sorry for what I've done and we still do that to a degree we may not be using real whips but we we whip ourselves emotionally and say I just can't God I just I'm so sorry and we repeat it over and over and over again and God is saying 
hey, are you talking about that thing that I forgave five years ago? Shut up, move on, and get going. Yeah. You know, because he puts it when we when it, when we when it's covered by the blood, he says, "I have forgotten it. I've removed it as far as the east is from the west." He's got a place in by his divine de declaration that he puts it, and he forgets about what we've done. He chooses to forget what we have done. So we shouldn't repeat it. So we shouldn't be repeating it a million times to God. Because you're sitting up there, God has forgotten it, and you're going, God, please forgive me for this. And God's, you know, I just picture, I picture God going, what is it they're talking about? They must be talking about something that I've already forgiven them for. Uh, but I can see us putting confusion on God's face because we're going, God, please forgive me. I've asked you a million times, and, and, I, you know, and I, I'm really, really, really sorry. And God's going, move on. I always just, well, I think, I, I thought make sure you heard what I said. That's why I repeat it. Because maybe, I think. But he has fully completed it. And we see we need to get to, to where we understand the finished work of Christ and that it is done. It is forgiven. Because you will not have victory. As long as you hang on to something that God has forgiven, Satan is going to use that to beat you up and keep you defeated. Yes. So I'm going to try that. I'm not going to keep forgetting. So you ask God, say, he's forgiven it. Thank you, God, and move on yes. with your life. Don't go back and forth and say, God, I'm just so sorry. And, you know, oh, God, I, you know, and there's just, because that mentality really is, I haven't punished myself enough for God to forgive me, and he's forgiven you already. We don't have to punish ourselves because Jesus took the punishment for our sin upon his body by the beating that he took and the crown of thorns that he took and the, the hanging on the cross and then he became sin. All of sin was put on Jesus Christ at the cross. Because he only did it once and so that's... Once and for all. Do it only once, like ask for forgiveness. And that's all we do. When we confess our sins and we say, God, I agree with you that I have sinned, please forgive me. He says, forgiven, it's gone, never to be remembered by him again. And then we tend to remember it. Because... Truthfully, we don't believe that we're forgiven. Hmm. We don't believe that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. And if you want to live a victorious Christian life, really get hold of the fact that God has forgiven you. Really get a hold of the fact that Jesus paid for all of your sin. And it's gone! When I got saved, he knew what I would do after the act of asking for, for salvation. Correct. And he said that it was all forgiven, and he brought me in anyway, knowing that I would do what I did. How much of your sin was future when Jesus died for it? All of it. All of it. So when you've become a Christian, he didn't forgive everything that you did from, before, you know, from the time before you became a Christian and say, you've got to pay for everything in the future. He forgave all of your sin. You want to live in that victory. This is why Jesus said, the Father has declared us perfect. He has justified us. We are declared in heaven as perfect beings, even though we are not actually perfect beings. But God has declared it to be so, and all we've got to say is, God, forgive me of my sin, and move on. And not wallow around in the mud. When we fall, don't wallow around in that mud and say, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. Get out of the mud puddle. God will clean you up and get moving. 
But if okay, I understand that. But if you ask, but if you do sin again, you can pray to ask for forgiveness. For if that. you sinned again, ask yeah. for him to forgive you. Yeah. Okay. Agree with that. Yeah. Agree that you've sinned in that area and go forward. Okay. And. We're going, some of us have areas that we keep falling into and we have to continually ask God to give us strength. Usually because we like that sin is usually what it works out to be. Uh, but you've got to remember, vic true victory in God is living in what Jesus Christ has done for us. The finished work of the cross is that Jesus paid for all our sin. It is covered. It is gone and God is saying, just agree. Agree that you've sinned. It doesn't mean that I go on, I sin, and say, God, you've forgiven it. I can go on and sin as much as I want because it's forgiven. No, that's not the right attitude. And if you can do that with no, no conviction of wrong, then you've got a problem in your life. You probably don't know God. If you can go out and, and continually sin without a conviction in your heart, you've got a problem. But when you know God, you know what you've done is wrong. You know that you've sinned, and you know you need to go before God. And if it's against some person, then you should be able, you should go and confess to them and repent to them and make it right with them. Yeah. You know, that's just our horizontal line. God has forgiven us. God has said going on. But he also says we're to make ourselves right. He says, if you come to the altar with your gift and, and you remember there that a brother has ought against you, leave, leave your gift at the altar and go and, and and make yourself right with your, with the person. That's my and that's the harder part. God's going to forgive us. We know he's going to forgive us. The harder part is to ask somebody to forgive us, knowing that they may or may not, and they may not forget, and, and you know, even if they say they've for, forgiven us, but we can only do what we can do with them. But what happens if it's not you, if they need to ask for forgiveness from you, and they won't do it, and that... Forgive them anyway. 70 times 70. It's, it's somewhat hard, but it's one of the that things that you need to learn. I have to learn because... Because if you're holding a grudge against somebody because they're supposed, they've done something against you that they, they haven't asked forgiveness, the only person you're really hurting is yourself. Well, I don't hate them. I love my family, a certain family member, mm -hmm. but there's this, I'm waiting for this person to ask. And they may never ask. They may never ask. But I don't hate her. I love yeah. her still. Yeah. I want her to make the move. I always made the move. Well, the, the key to that is Jesus said, is, and he said, or to forgive each other, you know, forgive them 70 times 7, and not, and it doesn't mean keep counting, and at the 490th time you can stop, stop forgiving them. It just means keep forgiving them. Yeah. But we forgive them. Does that mean we're going to spend, want to spend as much time with them as possible? No, no. Probably not. But they'll do it again to you, and so then you have to do it again. Yeah. They'll do it again. Eventually, if you pray for them, and if we get, if, if we get back into, yeah. into 66, 69 here, we're going to see David doing it. Yes. We pray, pray for them, and, and we expect a miracle. And then eventually, you know, the good news on here is God still performs miracles. And I've seen people's lives changed who you think would never change. And this is why we build each other up. We edify one another. We don't, we don't tear them down. because we, we, we talk good behind their back as well as in front of, their back, in front of them. But we want them. It was, well, some people may never change. Others may change in an instant. Others take a long time to change. So our job is one job, and that's to love them. 
And I can say, you know, there are people that I don't want to hang around with just because I want to hang around spiritual people. I don't want to hang around people that are depressing and down, and, and, and negative and, you know. Or if they don't and, believe on how you believe. That's and, you know, and that's true. Even, even if I'm with another Christian who doesn't believe exactly like yeah. I do, they, I love them. I, you know, I'll, I'll talk with them, but I'll avoid areas that I know we're going to disagree in because one of the two of us is going to get angry. Hmm. You know, now, it's fun to debate with them at times and have, that, have those discussions on those. And then you get people who are non-Christians, and they're really hard to deal with at times. And, you know, and this is the key. You know, who do we spend our time with? How much do we hang out? I like spending time with Christians as much as possible. And you know, that means sometimes I, there, there's certain in my family I don't like being with because they're, they're, I've got members in my family that are very anti-God. I don't spend much time with them at all because, you know, I can talk to them and everything. I'll give them the gospel. They've heard the gospel, but they're, they're just, I know it's going to be a terrible time if we get into the, my favorite topic, which is God. So, you know, so yes, there's going to be some people you're never going to be wanting to spend time with. You can forgive them. You can love them. But you're just not going to spend a long time. And some of them can be family. Some of them can be neighbors. So what I have to do, no matter what, I need to, I guess, like you say, make the next move and no. It depends. I mean, you may just be praying for them. You may not, you may not make a move on it. Sometimes you don't want to bring it up. There's some things you don't bring up with people because as soon as you bring it up, it just causes problems all over again. Well, to me, strangers are good, but family people, no. That makes them worse. Yeah. Yeah, because they're for the rich. Well, no, they're the hardest people to deal with. Well, I've already said the easiest people to, pre to, to give the gospel to are people that you don't know. Yeah. Because you're never going to see them again. The, the hardest people to give the gospel to is your family, and most of us... Most of us will never be able to lead a whole lot of our family to the Lord because they're always going to remember, you know, well, I remember when you were this or when you did this or, you know. Uh, I thought you believed in God. You shouldn't be doing this. Right. You know, and there's that judgment. And it's the same thing when children get, grow up in a church and they become adults. There's always people in the church when they're, when, you know, as they're a young adult saying, well, you were the kid who was always getting into the baptistry or into the closets. I remember you, you know, and they... And then he says, I'm the preacher that moved in two blocks down the road. Yeah, you know, and they just, they forget that they're grown up and that they've left the childish days behind. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes for children who grow up in a church to ever get accepted as an adult, you know, because the older people are always remembering, well, you, you know, you were the one that we were taught. You were the one that back you know, sassed the teachers. You were the one that, you know, got into the Bible box and drug the Bibles all over the church, you know. You know, they remember all the stupid little things you did as a child. You were the one with the squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> that came from a song she was talking about earlier. Uh, but, you know, this is the idea that we need to get past the person's past. Okay. When I first came here, I had people who wanted to tell me all about the people in the town and, and who they were and what they've done, and I had to stop them all the time and say, I don't care about their past. I care about who they will become in Christ. And for each person at this table, I don't care who you were even last year. <laughs> I care about who you're growing into. Who, who are you becoming in Christ? 
Does that mean I totally ignore everything you've ever done? No. If somebody comes in here and, and they prove to me that they're a liar, am I going to believe everything they tell me? No. If I come in here and somebody is trying to stir up trouble all the time, am I going to believe everything they say? No. But as they grow and they show me that they are now telling the truth or they're not trying to stir up trouble, I'm going to accept more of what they say. If somebody comes in here, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I want to live... I want to forget the flesh. I don't want to know people after the flesh. I want to know them after the spirit. Does that mean I totally ignore anything bad they're doing? No, because I need, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to have somebody who's a, who's, a, who's a major thief come in and say, okay, dude, you just, here's the keys to the church. You can come in whenever you want. And by the way, be the treasurer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be the treasurer, by the way, you know. I'm charge of all the money in the church. No, I'm not going to do that. But you look at who Jesus had carrying the, the purse. Judas Iscariot, who was stealing from Jesus and the rest of the disciples. You know, did Jesus know he was stealing? Absolutely knew that he was stealing. Was he trying to maybe teach him a lesson? Probably trying to teach him a lesson and try to, try to encourage him. But he still allowed something to happen that probably should never have happened. And, you know, and people, people very legally say, well, gee, no, you would never let that happen. They're stealing from you. Well, God had a reason for it, and who knows what the reason was. When, when it comes to money, he's the one that said, go, Peter, go down there, go down there and, and get, the get fish. that fish. Well, that's because Peter told him, yes, he pays his taxes, and he hadn't paid his taxes, so, so he told Peter to go get the fish. But I hope that helps you understand on that. I mean, there's some people that we're going to just forgive, and they're never going to change. But I can guarantee you one thing about it. If you're forgiving them, it's having an effect on them especially if you truly forgive them. Because God's grace, God's love will at least convict. And this is what I've seen over the years in churches. We could give you all kinds of rules on how to follow God and how to be more godly. And you'll chafe and argue and, and fight against every rule. But when we give you God's grace and say you grow at the rate God wants you to and we're going to love you in spite of what you've done, and you fail, and we still love you. We, you, you make a mistake, and we say, we still love you. That is going to change people's hearts. And I've seen people change so much quicker under his grace than under trying to pile a bunch of rules on people. You would meet when a person accepts Christ as their Savior. Give them a certificate and write it here. Of course, the, the greatest one is the book in heaven. Another certificate for over here of baptism and a blank white sheet of paper in the middle between them all is forgiven it would help you to see better clearer well most of it is just to understand most of it is to really truly understand that god is forgiven forgiving and we express that forgiveness in reality not just say that you know i forgive you and then you know, in the middle, the middle of the first time they do something wrong, well, okay, number two, mm -hmm. you know, you're forgiven. Number 18, you're forgiven. You know, that tells me right there somebody has not forgiven. Uh, or, well, didn't you do that last week? <laughs> you know, and this is the key to it. And, and most people will say, well, if you forgive people that easy, you're just inviting them to take advantage of you. And from the world's perspective, that's true. From a biblical perspective, that's what God does. He forgives. 
And we do take advantage of it. And we, yeah, we do take, we take advantage of God. Even we as Christians will take advantage of God's forgiveness. And, but as you do it over and over, if you're really following him, all of a sudden you start getting that conviction saying, oh, how much I'm hurting God. I'm hurting his, forgiveness, his forgiving spirit. I need to change. And we start asking God, please change me. You know, you've accepted his forgiveness and you say, please help me get over this. Help me win. Whatever that besetting sin is, whether it's lying or drugs or alcohol or stealing or using God's name in vain or, you know, being, being lazy or gluttonous or whatever it might be, lustful, you know, whatever it might be. And we say, God, I need your help. I don't want to fall in this anymore. I need your help. I think that's what's really hard on me because I know what I'm doing is wrong. I'm supposed to forgive and, you know, move on. And every time a verse or something comes up that points to me in a way, I know, I know God, I haven't done it, please forgive me. But I know I will, pro I probably will do it soon because I feel so guilty because I'm not doing it. And I don't want to be the one to give in, but I'm going to have to be, I think. But see, we are to be the servant of all. And people struggle against that, just like you're saying. You know, why should I be the one that yeah. opens up first? Well, because God says we're the servant of all. And I'm always the one that does open up. But, but it's not going to, in the long run, it doesn't hurt you to be the servant. Jesus, Jesus through his example of washing the feet of the disciples, his, his purpose of that was not so that we in this generation would go wash each other's feet. His, the purpose of that was he did the lowest of the lowest job. The, the, to wash the, the individual's feet, that was the job of the lowest servant in the house. The one that could do nothing else in the house because they were a total idiot or worthless washed people's feet. Never a Jew. Yeah. I don't know about that. I've heard that, but I've no, never heard that. So, Okay. <laughs> Now, um, one thing I want to say is I'm really, I'm, right I'm really learning a lot, and I'm learning more because I do feel, before a couple of years ago, I wouldn't feel this way, but I really do feel guilty because I'm not mm -hmm. doing it in, like, I think Satan said, no, yes, I do. Satan yeah. saying, no, you don't. Yes, I do, I'm thinking, and so yeah. I'm not going to let Satan win. Right. But we take, we take this job and we do the low stuff. We do the menial stuff. We do, even if somebody's going to take advantage of us, we're serving Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing I used to tell people, especially in Sacramento, because our church was in a place where lots of people hung out to panhandle. And people would ask me all the time, well, should I give them money or should I not? I'm going, that's between you and God. You know, if you hear God saying, give them money, give them money. If he's not saying, give them money, don't give them money. Well, what if they're, what if they're cheating us? That's between them and God. As long as you gave with the right heart attitude, listening to God, what they do with it is between them and God. If they've stolen, God will judge them for it. And God will penalize them for it. And this is where we are. If we are serving Christ, willing to do the most menial task, whatever that might be, then God says, you're going to be blessed for being the servant. Now, if they take advantage of you, I, I was serving Christ, so who cares what they do to me? I was serving Christ. And if they take advantage of me, that's between them and God. And God, as we see so often, David saying, God is going to be my defense. God will stand up and defend us. God will come in and say, 
uh, you know, knock on the door to their heart saying, uh, now it's time for you to pay for what you've done to my child, uh, to my servant. And God will defend us. And we, we've got to keep that attitude. And this is what I've said before. The disciples, when they would be beat for preaching Jesus, their attitude was always, thank you, Lord, that I was worthy of serving for you. Okay? Now, is that our attitude? If we were to be beat for preaching the gospel, would our attitude be, thank you, God, for allowing me to suffer for your sake? That's probably not true for most of us. Most of us say, how could they dare to do this to me? You know, they're, they're, you know, they really took advantage of me. I was preaching the gospel, and they beat me. Okay, And we're probably not going to get beat the way they did with the whip cutting into our skin. They took 40 lashes with the flagellum. Seven to ten thongs at the end of this thing weighted down with either metal pieces or, or, or bone chips to beat upon the flesh. So, you know, this is why I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to criticize, I'm just saying this is where we're at with this, is to just say, if people take advantage of us, that's between them and God. We praise God saying, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you've asked for me to do. And he's our defense. That's why I feel, that's why he's really working. I mean, that's why I feel so guilty. And I said, I, I know I'm going to I do the right thing. And then I'll feel better. Mm -hmm. I mean. But it's just important. All of this comes down to what is our attitude toward people? Do I have an attitude toward that I'm going to serve them for Christ and do what Christ wants me to do for them, whether they take advantage of me or not? Think about Jesus. He came down to this earth to become flesh. He's God. He could have demanded that everybody around him bend down, bow down before him and worship him. And he had the power to make them do that. And yet, he took their abuse. The scribes and Pharisees sitting there trying to trip him up with everything, with all their words all the time. Him doing miracles and then them call, telling him, you know, you're doing this by the power of Satan. Uh, and, and, you know, the abuse that he took while he's serving the people that are supposed to be the ones that know him, the, have the chance to know him his own people, the Jews, full of scripture saying, here I am, here, you know, this is who I'm going to be, and he comes, and they reject him at every turn, not just at the cross. At every turn, the leadership of the Jews rejected Jesus. And the people vacillated between, you know, between miracles. When he did miracles, they loved him, when he wasn't doing miracles, he's like, oh, well, maybe, who knows, I don't really know this, this guy. You know, this vacillation between accepting and, and rejecting and, and loving him and, and not loving him. If you show, you know, you want to talk about what have you done for me lately <laughs> attitude? Well, Jesus, what are you doing today for us? <laughs> you know, what miracle are you going to show us today so that we can follow you and love you instead of here's the son of God. He's come down to be with us today, to grow us. And the attitude that they had was, you know, what have you done for us lately? 
you know, you haven't done a miracle for around us for about 30 minutes. You know, you know, what did, you know, what did, you know, who are you? What are you doing? Then you got the scribes coming in trying to trip him up and, and, you know, trying to find, make him look bad to the people so they could get him to the cross, you know, kill him off early. And every time he speaks, they're, they're out to get him. A while ago I said that it was written. And as soon as I was done saying it in my mind's eye, I almost remember hearing it on the radio. And it's probably true. May or may not be. I haven't, I haven't I found the custom. It's in the Bible. Yeah. As to whether or not who, uh, who it was that was chosen to wash the feet of a yeah. guest. So, but all of this comes down to is what is our attitude toward God? What is our true belief? You know, we did the Truth Project, and the question on the Truth Project is, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Yes, I love that. You know, and how many times do we have things that we believe that we don't truly believe? And this is the purpose of all the tests God sends our way. He is proving to us, do you believe what, what you believe? God, I believe that I am to forgive people. Guarantee you, as soon as you start going that way, he's going to send somebody that's very hard to forgive. Just to see, will you forgive them? God, I know I'm supposed to confess my sins, and we then oh, we'll fall into our, whatever our favorite sin is. And we go, wow, am I going to confess this one or not? Because I really enjoyed it, God. Yeah. You know, I, I want to learn whatever, you know, take your pick. Do I truly believe that God is everywhere present? I commit a sin that I wouldn't commit in front of somebody, but I still, but I did it in front of God. You know. Yeah, it, it's like, I know what I'm doing, and to my heart, I feel like I'm not honoring him because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing until I do that then. And for that period of time, you're not truly honoring him. Right. Because you're not obeying yeah, what you I need to know. honor him as much as possible, so yeah. it's my fault. I have to do the next step. Yep. And I think this is really helping me out a lot. Yeah. You know. And this is true of everything that we do. You say, I'm going to start tithing. As soon as you say that you're going to start tithing, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, some new bill is going to pop up or, some, or your income is going to go down. Or, and all of a sudden, that tithe becomes a little more difficult. And you're going to go, am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? And you start, and then all of a sudden you do it and you follow through and everything goes fine and then you, you've, gone, you've gone on for a while and then God says, okay, let's see if you still truly believe in the tithe and all of a sudden things will go crazy for you. Because when you first start tithing, you start seeing the blessings. You, know, you give it and God says, okay, here, here's the extra money, here's the, here's the, here's the money stretches, and then there comes that point he's where he's going to test us. Do you truly believe that you're supposed to tithe? And all of a sudden, things get a little tight for a couple months. Or, 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 and God says, are you going to still tithe? And you go, yes or no. That's and, one thing I do believe in, and I'm doing good at that. I know. But, but you understand what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're convicted that you're supposed to go to church, and then all of a sudden, the one person that you had the most trouble with in the neighborhood starts coming to church. And it's like, uh, am I going to come to church and deal with this person, or am I going to stay away from church? But you see what I'm saying? Everything's going to come down to what do you believe? It's going to be tested. And you can take your pick of anything that you've read in the Bible that God has convicted you of that you need to follow. 
and be ready for the test in that area to see, do I truly believe and will I stand with God on it? Because it becomes difficult. And he's going to test you. He's going to, you know, I, I teach all the time, God is my defense. And I can guarantee you, as much as I teach it, I don't teach it out of the blue, and you've, many of you have seen this, I, God is my defense. But every once in a while, he's going to put me in a position of, hey, you're going to believe me in this area? <laughs> and you know, for me, I've been, I, he's been my defense for a long time. When he tests that area, it's going to be a hammer that comes down on me. And happened just a couple months ago when people come to me, they're, you know, they're going, oh, I've, somebody's been talking about you in town and you know, saying bad things about you, and I'm going, God is my defense. I don't even want to know who it is because I don't want to be able to see that person and try to judge them because it doesn't matter. God is my defense. And, and this is, it is, in certain areas, I'm very strong in because I've walked in them for a while. Doesn't mean I'm not going to fall because God can design a test that will make all of us fall. And we want to be careful that we never trust our own strength because when you start trusting in your own strength, you are going to fall because God's not going to let you trust in your own strength. You know, I will never take a drink in my entire life. You better be careful. If it's, you've got all those eyes in front of you, God can arrange a task that is going to make you come so close if you don't turn to him. You know, God, I will never, you know, whatever it might be, <laughs> You know, God, I'll never commit adultery. Don't ever say, like, I'll never eat another piece of candy. Oh, look at that temptation. But God's test will be one that will test you to the limit of what you can accept in your own strength. It says that there is no temptation overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. If I think I can get through that test on my own without turning to him for the escape, I will fail. I need to turn to him for that escape and say, God, take me out of this. You know, and, and, the, you know, and some of it is plain stupidity. We put ourselves in a temptation. You know, I was listening to a pastor. He goes, you know, somebody is in a hotel room with, with this person that's not their husband or wife, and they're saying, God, I need help getting out of this temptation. Why did you put yourself there in the first place? The okay, out, yeah. you know, you know, get out of that place as quick as possible, even though you're wasting your money, wasted your money, but get out of it. You know, and we oftentimes will do that. We will put ourselves in a place of temptation, saying, "God, you know, uh, why did God? Why did I fall? Well, why did you go there in the first place? You know, you knew you had trouble with drugs, and you went to the drug house to hang out with people and talk with them. What did you expect was going to happen?" You know, you went, you went out, you went, you went someplace, you know, just you and this other person that you really kind of were attracted to that's not your, you know, not your spouse, and then you wondered why you had ended up with an affair. <laughs> you know, God says, don't put yourself into these places, and yet he's going to trust us to say, are we going to trust him? We're going to have enough trouble with tests that God puts us in without us putting ourselves into the temptation. And this is very important. Uh, in Job, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look at lustfully at a, at a maiden. Yeah. So he says, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to do it. He's, he, was, he was one that would turn his head. He would leave the room, whatever it might take to get away from it. How strong are we going to be with God to, to be protected? 
And it really does come down to our attitude with God. Am I going to surrender to God or am I going to try to do things my way? And I can guarantee you, I, I'm just like everyone in this room, I do things my way quite often. Quite often. I'll do things my way. And I'll have to go to God and say, God, I'm really sorry. I, I really blew it. <laughs> I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Some areas, I don't have a lot of problems in certain areas because God has grown me in, in those areas to a, to a point where it's his and I know that it's him. When it comes to forgiveness, I've grown up learning to forgive people. I forgive people fairly easy. And when it comes to learn, learning to let him be my defense, he's taught me the hard way that he's my defense. And I've learned it fairly well. Now, is that, does that mean there's no chance that I'll ever fail in either one of those areas? Oh, no, God. God definitely. But I'll tell you, my, my temptations in those areas are a lot harder than any of you have, are going to go through because God has worked so long on me in those areas. And anywhere where you're strong that God has raised you in, your, your, your test in those areas might be harder than anybody else's test in that area because you've grown in that area. Mm -hmm. And I've said it over and over. If it's not something that actually is, uh, it can actually bring us to a failing in that area, it's not a test. You know, if you're in college and you know, the professor was to give you a 1 plus 1 equals and a 2 plus 2 equals and a 3 plus 3 equals test, you'd look at the professor and go, okay, what's the catch in this? <laughs> you know, you'd probably be thinking, at a college level, you'd be thinking, what's the catch on this test? What is he trying, how is this, how is this professor trying to trip me up? You know, because it's not a test. <laughs> you know, for somebody taking calculus, that would not be a test. But by the same token, I'm not going to give a calculus test to a kindergartner. They wouldn't even know what they, wouldn't even know what they were reading. <laughs> color on the paper, yeah. But, but you see what I'm saying? The test for us as Christians is going to be a test for where we're at. If we're at kindergarten level on forgiveness, it's going to be a kindergarten level test. If we're at a college level test on forgiveness, it'll be a college level for test on forgiveness, which will be tough. But when you're in college, those tests also aren't difficult because you're studying at that level. So... It, it's a test, but it's not a test. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. you know, you've learned in that area. So you know, if, if you got one of the tests that were designed for me, you might freak out but because of, I've been following for 44 years and I've been in the Word and, and, and studying and there's still areas where I'm very weak in, areas that I'm strong in. And, but if you got a test where I'm strong in, it might freak you out, but God's not going to give you my test. He's going to give you the test for you. What you can handle. What you can handle. What's good for you. Not what's good for somebody else. He's not going to give you the test for somebody that you're higher than in that area. And he's not going to give you the test that you're lower than. It's your test that's designed for you. Annie? We were talking a while ago about waste. Okay, well, I've got the motel room. I don't want to waste the money. But I haven't done this. I paid for these tickets and took this day off, and my time is valuable. I wish I hadn't done this, but it's better to give up the money and give up the time than to give up your righteousness that the Lord gave you to begin with. Right. And it's the same thing when a Christian goes to a movie and they find out it's a movie that is not very much blaspheming God and is not something they should sit in. I've heard many Christians said, well, I spent the money. I just sat through the whole movie. Get up and get out. You know, get up and get out. 
When you're in a situation where you know it's wrong, get out of the situation. If it means you're leaving stuff behind or you're, you've wasted money, get out of the situation. You look at the story of, of Joseph with Potiphar's wife pursuing him. Yep. As the pastor said this morning, one of the original cougars <laughs> going, after, going after a young, man, you know, young teenager. Okay? And she wasn't being subtle about it. She was saying, come lay with me. Period. Period. You know, I'm the boss's wife. You need to do what I said. You're the servant. Get in bed with me. And Joseph did what every red-blooded teenage young, young American uh, young boy would do. He ran away. <laughs> you know, no, that's not what the flesh would do. <laughs> the flesh would be saying, well, I'm... I'm hundreds of miles from home. I'm never going home again. My God's deserted me. You know, the flesh would have said, I'm just going to go lay down with this woman. She'd make my life better for me. But he's saying, I can't do this. Potiphar has put everything in my hand, but I can't sin against my God and lay with you. I couldn't believe how when I read that too. Huh? Okay. He did exactly what a young man would not do in the flesh. And it even was so strong that she had hold of his outer garment and he ran off and left the garment. Okay. He was going, I'm getting out of this situation and we need to be in that same place where everything in us may be saying, oh, let's just go for this because who, who cares, who knows? And we need to say, no, it is against God, I'm leaving. She was so terrible. She, she was. Well, then, yeah, and then she can, then she can, you know, yelled rape. She had that, yeah. You know, so, and he ended up going to prison because of that. But that, the, of course, that all went into all things work together for good, and he ended up being promoted because of it. But he did not know it at the time he's being, con, con, uh, being charged with rape, and he didn't understand what was going on in the future. All he knew is I did what was right, and I went to jail. How many times do we do what is right for God? And go to jail. And go to jail or get or get something bad happen to it. You know, something, some, our reputation is destroyed because we did what was right. Mm -hmm. But God didn't say that it, by doing right we were going to have good reputation. He didn't say that at all. He just said, "Do what is right. Our light will shine." And we want to be able to be able to look and say, "I did what was right. I did what God wanted me to do." He gave me the strength to be doing the right. Even if, it, even if it ends up, I go to jail or I get a bad reputation because, I, you know, because for whatever reason, God will win out in the long run. He is still our defense. And it all comes down to this whole idea of how much do I trust God? So no matter what, you said that was really good. Um, when some, a lot of times I do something right and then it backfires on me, I say, or hits, like... And so you have to go through that, I guess. Sometimes you have to go through it. If you look at the scriptures, yeah. there were lots of times when people did what was right and had bad things happen to them. Because the world is, we're in a battle. Mm -hmm. We're in a battle and God is going to, and God's question for us is, are you going to do right no matter what? Right. I just thought, well, I'm kind of naive. I just I think that people would do that to you. Well, unfortunately, we're in a world where, and this is why I say, I am never surprised when sinners sin. I am never surprised when sinners attack a Christian, because that is what they do. I'm not, and that includes Christian sinners. Now, I'm more surprised when Christian sinners do it than, than non-sinners, but 
Christians are sinners. Mm -hmm. They're going to say mean things. They're going to do wrong things if they're not listening to God at the time that they're doing it. I am going to say harsh things that I don't mean to at times. I am going to do things that I shouldn't do just because I am a sinner and I'm going to fail. Do I mean to do it? Do I want to hurt people? No. Not usually. <laughs> Some people may deserve it and, I'm, and I, my flesh will respond at the time and I'll do something mean and, and nasty and probably think that they deserved it and it was the right thing to do at the time and then I'm going, <laughs> you know, well, why did I do that? You know, why did I make that person feel so, so bad for, for something that was so insignificant? Or maybe it was major and I'm still not supposed to do it. You know, we need to be careful because God is going to put us in places where doing the right thing is going to be hard. We're sitting on the cusp of all of this right now with the, with the, the laws on homosexuality saying, you know, coming against us and they're making all the wrong decisions in the courts about homosexuality and their rights. And they're going to hit the churches saying, I, we want to get married no more. And they're going to sue the churches and, and all this stuff. We have a decision at that point. Are we going to follow God and truth? Or are we going to bend to what they want? When it comes down to doing what is right, sometimes, it, in, especially in our world, it's going to cause penalties. Just as for the disciples, God said, go, tell and the, and, the, and the leaders were saying, don't you talk to people in that, in that name. You, know, you preach that name and we're going to send you to jail. Well, we've got to do what God said. Mm -hmm. And there is a time that we have to do what God says to do. And when we do, if we're going to go against the authorities, we need to be ready to take the penalty for going against the authorities because the authorities were still ordained by God. Even though they made bad laws, <laughs> incorrect laws, we still follow through. The, the disciples followed God and then were submissive enough to say, okay, you said you were going to jail. We preached in his name. Send us to jail. You know, you said that was the punishment, but we're going to, but we get this. As soon as you let us out of jail, we're going to go back and teach his name and you'll put us back in jail again. Why? Because they had to obey God and yet be submissive to a government that was not friendly to, that, to God. Our government is becoming unfriendly to God. And it's going to come to this point where we're going to be obedient to God and we're going to be punished by the government. And then when we get done with that punishment, we go back out, we be obedient to God and get punished again. It's just the way it is. And when we read these things, it used to be in the 1700s and 1800s in this country, you know, we, there was no concept of being punished for doing what God said because the country as a whole was generally... God's followed God's morals. Now we look at it and say, <laughs> we, we, we obey God. We may be in jail. We may be fined. We may be punished because the country itself is not moral as a, as a whole. There's pockets all over the place, but as a country as a whole, it's not, it's not moral. It's more like the Roman days of the early church. And we haven't quite come to persecution yet, but that's coming, people. It's coming that we're going to be persecuted for being Christians. We're very close to it. We're right on the edge of that. But it's coming that we will be persecuted by the government, not just a handful of crazy, crazy people, but by the government. We need to be ready. We need to have our hearts ready to serve God and make correct decisions, even though it'll cause the pain and it'll cause the hurt. Then... 
you know, if we can't do it with individuals, how are we going to do it when the government comes against us? Mm. You know, if I can't, if I can't do what's right in my family or in my community, when it's not going to, when all they're going to do is make fun of me or, or give me a hard time, how am I going to be able to stand up against the government who's going to say, you're going to jail for five years. You're going to go, you're going to be beat. You're going to be, you know, because torture is not too far down the road. The way we're going, it's not too far down the road. I don't think that would be easier than dealing with family. Maybe. <laughs> so. What's hard is when we're called off, and family stands there and not only does it try to help us, but agrees that what the law is doing should be done, okay. that it's right, and good riddance. But this is, this is where the church has been for off and on for years. I mean, America has been a very interesting place where religious freedom has been so much of a freedom. And it's a, it was an experiment when it happened, and every place else has had some level as long as you didn't cross, cross certain lines. And here we've had a lot of freedom. And it's coming to an end. It's going to come to an end. And we need to be ready for it. We need to be ready to serve God in spite of whatever might come our way. And that's going to be hard sometimes. It'll be very hard sometimes to be able to say, I am just going to serve God in spite of. Well, I think as long as my, my certain person in the family is not in the government, will, the government will be fine. I can deal with that. <laughs> well, that'll be, your challenge. that'll be your challenge to say, God, help me, help me learn. And it takes prayer. It takes prayer to be able to forgive somebody. And it... It takes prayer to, to forgive the unforgivable. It takes, it takes prayer in God to love the unlovable. And that would be the next area. When you're learning to, to love people, God will put somebody who's unlovable or hard to love into your path. And believe me, it'll, it'll keep happening. And you know, you're learning to love, and all of a sudden, God, I, I thank you. I've learned how to love. And then next, how long will come the person that's very hard to love? Now you got to love harder. And, I, and it's like, okay, God, I guess I need some more. I need some more of your love to be able to love this person. It's like I said, I'm get, I got to get tougher. So I tell the Lord what I do uh, way too often. Lord, I need your help. Can I have your love? Mine's kind of mean today. <laughs> But that's really what it's all about is getting him, more of him in us and less of our flesh. It goes back to Galatians 2.20. 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And this is what it is. He, he's going to continually crucify our flesh and have us have more of him. And when we think the flesh has been crucified, he'll show us that it's not crucified yet. And he'll show us another area of our life that needs to be crucified and that will be our entire time on this earth, learning to have our flesh crucified and more of him coming out of us. I want that. And that's what I want everybody to get. I want everybody to understand this is the greatest thing that can happen to us, for God to crucify our flesh and more of him to come out. The more of him that comes out, the more people will be attracted to him. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So as he crucifies our flesh and he fills us up, he lifts himself up and people are drawn to him. I can, I can talk to people till I'm blue in the face and they're not going to listen to me most of the time. It needs to be him that is speaking through me. It needs to be him who's showing love. It needs to be him that's forgiving people and crucifying who I am. Because I, as a, in my flesh, don't want to forgive anybody. You know, because, you know, 
I was hurt. I am the one that, you know, they made me look bad. They're, they're making, I'm always the one that surrenders. I'm always the servant. Why can't they be? And God is saying, I want to crucify, <laughs> I want to crucify your flesh. But I want I to pour through you. A lot of other people, but it's just this one person. That's your, that's your current trial yeah, to learn. I'm the Good one person. Oh. We're going to close in prayer. We didn't. Hopefully, this was useful and, and growing. That uh, we didn't. We didn't get to follow, We didn't get to Psalm sixty nine at all, other than to read it. So we'll do Psalm sixty nine next week. But no, I don't mind some of these because sometimes it just. This was very practical on how to apply and how to live. I learned a lot so, somebody else too. So, all right, Lord, we just thank you this evening, Lord. We ask that you help us to have our flesh crucified. Help us to learn to have you work more and more through us. Help us to see you for who you are and, and develop more, more of your love for others. Help us to be the light on the hill that draws people to you through your love and through our crucified flesh. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.